this is Runehammer. Greetings, programs. My name is Brandish Gilhelm, and this is Runehammer. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. As always, it's great to have you. Today, we are going to be talking about the S-word. I am not talking about silliness. I am talking about spells. Yes, spells. They make you crazy. Don't get mad. Get even. There are so many spells, so many details, then the slot stuff, and do I need spell cards? Is it still the wizard's turn? How does this swarm thing work anyway? Spells are one of the biggest, clumsiest, and uh, often most cumbersome parts of any RPG. That's right, take a look at your own game, and uh, you probably notice that spells are eating your brain and eating your table time. So let's take a minute Sit together, do some deep thinking, and let's solve this spell problem once and for all. All right, if we're going to solve the spell problem, we want to make the wizard player happy. We want to keep the dungeon master sane. And we want the evil casters in your game to also be lively, exciting, and and easy and effective for you to play as the dungeon master. But that first one, we've got to remember... A player who is a sorcerer or a wizard or a druid or a paladin or any magic user needs to be satisfied and having a great time with the spell system. So we we have to make sure that we nail that part of the solution. Okay, so I'm going to propose three steps for you to do in your game to get your spell system back under your control, to harness it in and to make it a tool that you use to make your campaign and your game world cooler rather than being used by it, which uh, I don't know if you guys are like me, but that happens to me a lot. I am victimized by the spell list, uh, especially in uh, D&D. Now, 5e is a little bit lighter than some of the the games in the past with D&D, like when Spell Compendium came into play. There's just so many spells, and you just can't remember them Now, that's okay. You can use the book at the table, but we all know what happens when books start getting cracked open at the table. Time starts ticking away, and other players waiting for a wizard to do his turn, or for you as the dungeon master to do an evil caster's turn, they will start checking their phones, they want to go get some macaroni and cheese, and go outside, and then before you know it, someone's lost in the bushes, and your night's over. (laughs) We don't want that to happen. We want to solve this problem and make spells fast and intuitive, but we want to keep that mystical, magical feeling of sort of a collection of arcane mysteries. You know, each spell, it is okay if each spell feels like a little mystery, right? That That is part of the allure of using magic in a game is that the spells are a bit arcane, complex, and odd. And so a fighter is always rolling his eyes, right? And he isn't just rolling his eyes at the wizard, at the character. He's rolling his eyes at the player who's a wizard. And that dynamic is really, no pun intended, magical. 
we're going to do this in three steps. First, I want you to take ownership of your spell list. Second, I want you to hack down the spell rules into what I call tiers. And third, uh, I want you to embrace what I call formless magic. Now, in these three steps, I think you're going to find yourself in a new and rich area in your game where spells are going to play a vibrant role. The first step, taking ownership of your spell list. Okay, what, what does this really mean? Well, you guys have tons of RPG books, right? I mean, let's face it, you collect them. A lot of times you get a big RPG book. There's a really cool section on creating characters. There's a little bit of world story going to get those characters some flavor, right? And then you, you just go sort of stumbling into this massive spell list, which is like half or more of the book. And you guys all know how this goes and have felt this feeling. Now, if you're a magic user, maybe you're really excited by that. But me as an RPG collector, I often get a little harumphy when a ton of a book is spent on spells. And for example, let's say I don't get any monsters or I don't get any good encounters or I don't get any good maps. Those things I want more than a million spells. Now, I totally want a few dozen spells. Absolutely. I mean, come on, this is an RPG, right? But I don't need 50 or more. I don't need 100. I don't need 200. Okay, so what I mean by taking ownership of your spell list means to make it your own. Now, you're, you're going to have to do this at the beginning of a campaign. You're not going to be able to spring a magic overhaul on a group who is like 8th level or something who's been playing together for years. It's not going to work. They've been memorizing that game and that spell list, and let them be. That's awesome. But if you're starting a new game, here's your chance to own your spell list. Okay, so now there's a few rules that you can go by as you try to assemble a spell list for your world. I mean, you're just going to sit down with a notebook and say, here are the spells. First of all, if a spell doesn't add flavor to your world, to your campaign, bag it. Yes, it's intense, right? The first ramification of this rule for owning your spell list might be there's no such thing as magic missile or burning hands. Like those spells, even though they're classic staples, don't really add anything to the flavor of a particular campaign world. So I would say bag them. If you need a low level damage spell, which is all that, you know, a zillion spells just fall into this group. They just have style, right? Magic Missile, Cone of Cold, and all these kinds of things. Just super simple little blasties. You know, zzz, there, I got you. So you're still going to need a low-level, simple damage spell, right? I mean, we got to have that. You don't want to leave your mage so high and dry, he can't even do that. But you're not going to have Magic Missile. You're going to have, you know, Feathers of the Raven or, you know, the, the Flying Quills or something. You're, if Those are both animal-themed. I don't know why, but they're, I'm starting to already stumble into something. Maybe magic in my world is animalistic or nature-themed. Okay, so that's the first rule. If it doesn't add flavor to your campaign, to your world, bag it. And if you really need the spell, functionally speaking, well, then put it in a nice wrapper that fits. Second, smaller is better as far as your list goes. And just hand out some of the little stuff. Okay, what do I mean here? Well, obviously, the shorter the spell list, the more command of it you're going to be able to have. The more effectively 
and with excitement, be able to dole those spells out over time, have them be found, have them be learned from a mentor, have them be inscribed on a doorway and so on and so forth. If there's two dozen spells in your entire campaign world, each one becomes way more exciting. It's a much bigger discovery and a bigger progression jump. Now that leads right into my third point here on taking ownership of your spell list, which is to divvy your spells up into a progression. So as you're coming up with these cool names of these spells, you know, like Alfonso's Abhorrent Aberration, right? Wow, that sounds, hmm, that could be low level, like you kind of just conjure some little blobs with teeth. Or it could be high level, like you make this giant sort of mutant creature. Or maybe you turn yourself into sort of some kind of horrible mutant creature that can fight for a small amount of time. Either way, design the power into the spell. Instead of, this spell can kind of be this powerful if cast this way, or kind of be that, you're just creating variability and muddying the water of how awesome a spell is. A great way to really drive this technique home is to choose your supreme spell. Okay, now, whatever theme you think is fun, or especially whatever theme your wizard player thinks is really fun or is really powerful. You know, maybe it's like a dimension gateway or something. Maybe it's a teleportation is the the highest level in your minds. Then you give it a big dramatic name and you place it way there up at the, the apex of the spell list. And it is known across the land that that is the most powerful spell, the angelic conjuring or whatever. <laughs> and magicians talk about this stuff. There's a legend about it. No one has ever mastered it. There's one guy who cast it once, but he was killed in the process and so on and so forth. The, the, the progression of the spells is discreet. It is in your face. It's out in the open. And it gives that wizard something to chase. Rather than a list that's so muddy in its power levels that he's kind of like, well, am I going to take this? Or am I going to take that? I'm not sure. Maybe I'll get the. You don't want that. You want this chase feeling. Now, finally, something that I've been alluding to throughout taking ownership of your spell list is to work with your wizard player or players. So whoever is using magic in your game as a player needs to be the most invested. Then later, you can take the spells that you developed with the players for your bad guys, and you know, you can adapt. You're the GM. You can do whatever, right? But those players need to be invested. One time I had a, a, a wizard character in 4th edition um, named Ivan. And Ivan, his, his power was all held in this sword called the Blood Iron Blade. And all of my, my spells, I wanted to be themed around this sword. And like the sword could catch fire. It could kind of like turn into a rope. It could turn into a snake or like it could get very small so I could hide it. It could get really big so that it could almost be like a siege weapon and all these different sort of things. And I wanted this sword to be the focus of my magic. I didn't really, we didn't have those spells available to us. And for that particular game, we weren't doing a lot of hacking or, or custom creation. And so that wizard never really became what I wanted him to be. He kind of wound up doing fireball, right? <laughs> Just with it focused on the sword. <laughs> um, but here's, I think, the biggest part. This spell list needs to be a spell list that your wizard player looks at and just drools. Just dying to get her hands on these spells. Okay, so now there you go. You have a spell list that you can lean back and say, oh man, this is going to be awesome. Now, I have a few references for my talk uh, here today about spells. And when it comes to spell lists, as I was doing my research uh, over the last few weeks, 
Uh, I have to say that Burning Wheel and Simba Room probably have, to me, the most intriguing, compact, and uh, digestible spell lists. Simba Room especially, the spells are directly tied to the lore of the world in a way that is just undeniably cool. Now, on the Burning Wheel side, the spells have that, well, you guys know how Burning Wheel it is. It has that extremely unique uh, textural feel to it. Um, that is a bit hard to understand, but is compact and has tons of sort of subtext built in. There's no magic missile. It, it's, it's much more flavorful than that. So check those two spell lists out if you get a chance. Uh, I think you'll really like it, okay? So now we've got two more methods to go to get your spells in shape in your game, okay? Once you've got this spell list... And, you know, maybe it's just names and a few ideas for what the mechanics could be, right? Work on all the details later. We're just trying to do the the creative heavy lifting. You've got your spell list. You know these names are cool. Fits your world. Your player's excited about it. You're ready. Okay. Now, step two. Hacking down your rules into discrete tiers. Hack to tiers, man. Okay, with tears, I don't mean like, you know, the, the tears of Gabriel. <laughs> I mean tears as in T-I-R, T-I-T-S-T-R-I-T-S-E-R, no, <laughs> T-I-E-R-S, right? Tears. These are like very distinct levels of statistical relevance is a way to say it. Okay, so how do you do this? The biggest way that you get your stats to boil down into tiers is to glob them into, into clumps that are easy to write, okay? So instead of something, one spell being 10 feet and the other spell being 25 feet and another spell being 18 feet, as far as, you know, maybe it's range or something, right? You could make yourself tiers for spell ranges. It could be short and long. Short is sort of 30 feet and below, long is 30 feet and above, right? And that way, all of the spells that you're going to be writing down, or maybe you're describing the spells in your new spell list, they're either short or long range. This is so much easier to write, remember, and play than actual measurements. All right, so spell range is either short or long is a great example. Okay, another one could be Duration is either short or long. Short is sort of one round. Long is three. Now, I know this is going to take some of the detail out of your spells, but that's what you want. You want variety, but you don't want so much detail that you need like 20 little cards at your table. You want to be able to write a spell's description in one line so it can fit on a character sheet or on your notes as a, as a DM. Another way to glob stats down into tiers is maybe even to give it a a number system, right? So maybe there's a tier one, tier two, and tier three spell. Okay, everything of tier one has a short range and a short duration and can only be cast instantly and so on and once per day. A tier two spell can be cast twice per day or once per encounter, has a long range and a short duration, and then a tier three has long range, long duration, and can be cast you know, twice or infinite number of times with a roll or something to that effect, right? So tier one, two, three is all you would really need to write down in your notes. 
And then somewhere else, you have a little cheat card that says what those tiers mean. So do you see what the goal is? Is You're trying to take all this specificity, all this variability, and in a lot of cases, all this arbitrariness, and boil it down into terms you can easily use and memorize and sling at the table. Okay, so that's that's really um, number two. <laughs> Hack down your rules into tiers. You don't need every spell to have its own set of rules. You can have common wordage that describes how spells work and will make them easy to execute at the table. And it can go all the way from damage to how often you can cast, AOE range, touch or line of sight, all this kind of stuff. It can all be boiled down into tiers. Give it a try on a couple of spells and you'll see exactly what I mean and and you'll never go back. It's a really great way to clean things up. Okay, so the third point of how we are going to make magic cooler, more exciting, and more hours in our game is... To embrace what I call formless magic. Originally in my fifth edition game um, last year, formless magic was introduced as a sort of found artifact. There was this book that uh, contained this method. The method was that if you could describe a thing and had the will to enact it, you could create any effect imaginable. That's right. Any effect describable or imaginable could be accomplished, but there was a 2d6 dungeon world style role associated with it with a variable level of success and sort of mercurial or cruel or volatile failure. So... Sure, I can turn that dragon into a polywog, but I need to roll the 2d6 to see exactly A, if I do it, which is roll a 7 or higher, and B, how much the cost really winds up being. Did I barely succeed? Is it not going to last? Did it take a piece out of me? Did I actually fail to cast the spell? Did I fail so bad that I opened a portal to hell? This uh, form of magic in my campaign actually became much more focal and central than I anticipated. And in my mind, there's really no going back from it. Now, there are different games that capture this idea in different levels of effectiveness. But what I would recommend to you is to let the entire rest of what spells are going to be in your world beyond your list, right? Because maybe your list only has 15 spells or or a dozen spells. Everything else that's going to happen is now in the sort of the, the mind and the imagination of your wizard player. Your wizard's going to, your player is going to be like, Hey, there's not a spell to light a sword on fire. Can I, as an advanced wizard, can I write that spell? Can I create that spell? I want to call it the burning blade. And you, as the dungeon master, sure as hell ought to say yes. (laughs) Remember, that's your your credo, is you say yes then, or yes if, not no. And so having a little bit of preparation around how to use formless magic will go a long way for you. And I got a couple of tips there on how to be ready. First of all, think about employing a role. I know a lot of magic in a lot of games doesn't use roles, but if you 
let this formless thing kind of go wild. The dice can control the level of power and you don't have to worry about it becoming this sort of world destroying power because the dice will always be more cruel than you anticipate. Secondly, consider a system of microcurrency. Microcurrency is a tool that is used to tremendous effect in Dungeon World and even more so in um, a Sundered World. I think, is it called a Sundered World? Yeah. The, the Dungeon World supplement, which the classes have all these different types of microcurrency. What the hell is microcurrency, you ask? Well, it's kind of an abstract little currency. In the case of magic, we could call it mana or animus, right? You have six animus. You can, you know, devise the, the burning blade spell that we described earlier, but it's each time you cast it, it's going to cost you three animus. You recover one animus per day of, of living, and you can only ever have a six maximum. So you see what I mean? The player winds up deciding how to use this disposable microcurrency, which in DCC also takes the form of hit points. Or you could even have it take the form of intelligence stat points that are burned to create formless effect. Either way, a microcurrency system does the same function as adding a dice roll to a formless spell. Keeps it from becoming this world destroyer. Keeps it in check while not keeping what the spell is in check. So consider those techniques and think about the beauty of formless magic. So to devise this talk today about spells, I did uh, some extensive homework here in the laboratory and online, and I just wanted to mention to you guys the references that uh, really stood out to me in that quest for how to really boil this concept down as far as I could and make it a digestible 30-minute talk. I just have a short list of books here, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you already have these, and I would invite you to kind of go back and give these a detailed look as far as their magic systems, if, like me, you're chafing a little bit at how spells and spell listings can feel in your RPG. The first one is, as I mentioned, Simba Room. This is a brilliant little RPG book, and has an interesting quarter mechanic, an expansively detailed world. But to me, most of all, I just think their spell list absolutely shone. It just jumped off the page to me and made me want to get to the table and cast those suckers and see what happens, right? That's, a, that's always a, a sign of a great asset in an RPG book. It just makes you want to sit down and play. Secondly is the classic DCC. DCC has this craziness to it. And it's almost the, the counterexample to everything that I'm saying. It's very list-driven. It's very table-driven. The, the outcomes of spells are very driven by details in big tables. You always have the book out. You're always, you know, scanning down these 1D100 type tables and finding these outcomes and uh, the, uh, the curses and the, the mercurial results of failed rolls and all this stuff is in these huge tables. And that's the DCC way. It's really worth looking at because there's so much cool flavor in that game. It's just undeniable. But at the table, I found it pretty cumbersome to use. Of course, there's Dungeon World. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of Dungeon World. Dungeon World took the hack to tears and sort of short list methods, right? Dungeon World does not have an expansive spell list. They're pretty simple. They involve plus ones and small amounts of damage. And they're very simply described. And there's not a lot of them. 
But I just felt the way that they fit into character progression, especially maybe for one or two shot type games, is very easy to understand and very fast at the table. It would be easy to be a wizard in Dungeon World. The next one is in some ways the opposite, which is The Burning Wheel. Now, if you haven't read The Burning Wheel, I strongly, strongly recommend it just as an alternative way of thinking about RPGs. It is a fascinating, brilliantly written book. Um, They used the shortlist method as well. It's a short spell list. But where they really, really hit the road is that the spells match the world and the tone of the game. It's very specific. It has this textural feel that's very unique to the burning wheel that gives you that feeling of like, oh yeah, man, we are in the burning wheel here. This is the this is that tone. So give that a look. Then there's two more, and this is the mother of all magic systems, a game called Ars Magica. So if you're not familiar with it, it, it's maybe a little bit lesser known RPG. But Ars Magica is a very historical European setting with a highly expansive and detailed spell casting and creation system based on hermetic magic. So hermetic magic is this sort of a very historical feeling magic that uses Latin, that uses, uh, you know, like conversion of elements that uses very real feeling magic. And Ars Magica, since the whole focus of the game is the creation and use of magic, they embraced the formless magic approach to the ultimate. They have a system of combining nouns and verbs to create spells, right? Like, what's a funny one? Create water. (laughs) I got to go, guys. I got to create water. (laughs) But... It lets players use nouns and verbs to actually create spells. And there's a whole expansive system on how to limit, power up, enhance, uh, and simplify and complexify those player-created spells. And it's absolutely brilliant. Now, if you want to be at the table with this, that's a different discussion. For me, again, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I would have a hard time running Ars Magica quickly at the table. I played it years and years ago, but I think we played two sessions and we realized it was just really neat making the characters and then we couldn't, we we got very uh, klutzed up in the session. But give it a look. And you don't have to buy these books to to give them a read. There's wikis for all this stuff. Finally, we've got good old D&D. D&D took basically almost the opposite um, approach to everything that I've been discussing in this talk. So they have the long spell list. They have very arbitrary rule uh, variation between the spells. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I find it hard to remember and easily write down their spells. And especially when I'm watching players, even a druid who in my mind should have simple naturalistic spells, needing spell cards and needing, you know, pages of notes on uh, remembering how to do these spells and trying to save time at the table. To me, that's the sign that something can be better. Now, I know that people out there love it, and people can memorize these spells over time, and man, those are very valuable players, but again, I'm just describing my point of view, and mine is, I want better magic in my game that's more mine, that belongs more to me and my players, and that's what this RPG talk has been all about. So, take ownership of your spell list, hack down your spell rules into discrete tiers, 
And finally, embrace the approach of formless or player-created magic. That is how to solve the big spell list problem, the clumsy evil caster problem, and make magic yours in your world. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Brandish Gilhelm, and you are listening to Runehammer. Runehammer.